forward. Hey, what's up, everybody? You're listening to Cannabis Karaoke, where we ask you to grab the mic and tell your story. Get inside info from today's most interesting cannabis pioneers. And from the first note to the end of the song, listen up as you get to hear the stories of success on Cannabis Karaoke. All right, another episode of Cannabis Karaoke. And, uh, you know, this this episode is going to be a fun one because this guy has some, some serious fucking energy. Uh, we, we had to actually stop talking off, <laughs> off the air because so much good shit was coming out. And I was like, wait a minute, we, we'll sit here for like two hours if we don't get on. So I'm, I'm really proud to welcome Aaron Silverman to the room. Uh, he's the president and co-founder of Media Gel, which if you don't know what Media Gel is, you probably should go Google it and figure it out. And then he's also uh, the founder of OMG Farms. And I kind of want to know a little bit about how that works, too, because you've got a built-in marketing team around your own brand. But welcome to the studio, man. And you're actually in the house. In the hizzy. That's right. I Thanks for it. having me, man. Where'd you just come back from? I just flew in from L.A. Uh, this morning and jumped in the car and drove right out here to do this with you. Good so. old sunny Santa Cruz, California. Well, we really appreciate you being in here, man. And I got a chance. You actually do a, you know, this is funny. This is like the interviewee interviewing the interviewer, interviewing the interviewee. I feel like this is going to bounce back and forth <laughs> yeah. a couple of different times. Um, you actually have your own kind of vodcast, I would call it. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm glad you said that because I'm not sure what the exact name is. It's a vodcast. It's, is it a vodcast? I think so. You do video podcasts yeah. and it's done really well. And you've Thanks. had some, some, I would consider some heavy hitters on there. And just like, what's the name of it? That's the Liquid Lounge. Right. So why is it called that? Because uh, when we first started it, we launched it. Uh, we kicked it off at New West Summit 2018. Okay, and um, we just did. Uh, we built a podcast booth on the floor there, uh, soundproof and everything. Had full production, and we had a bottle of bourbon and vape pens in there. And so we just kind of kept. Uh, we kept. You know, the now liquid. you're talking, brother. Yeah. You're talking, <laughs> got my attention with the bourbon. Yeah. Right? So we had a lot. It was the liquid, but then it was kind of. Uh, it was more of a conversation, less of an interview. So we just want to keep the conversation fluid. Yeah, and I feel so like we kind of went with that theme. And if you haven't seen that, you need to go check it out. What is that? Give it a quick shout, real quick. Yeah, so the Liquid Lounge. You can find it on uh, any of your f- favorite podcast platforms. You can download it. Uh, it's in iTunes. Yeah. Uh, you can check it out on YouTube. Yeah, and you can watch it on your website. You can watch it on the website. The video versions on the website. Sure. The audio versions on iTunes. And it's good. And it's really Thank good. You. And Thank I, you. um, we were talking off air a little bit about you know what's the parameters for cannabis karaoke, and I'm like, look, there really isn't any. We're just going to get on and talk. And he's like, that's awesome. (laughs) You know, let's do this. So let's let's start with the big one first. Let's start with Media Gel. Um, When we talked originally, you know, you've been in the game for a long time. Um, You know, what, close to 15 years, you said? Yeah, about 14 years. Yeah, you know, and so tell the listeners a little bit about how you take it. Or first, give us an outline of what Media Gel does, what you guys want to focus on, how you help brands, and then... Where, what mistakes are you seeing people make and how do you help them with those mistakes? Yeah, awesome questions. Uh, let me, I'm going to clarify a couple of things first just for all of the listeners out there. <laughs> me, uh, me Five did, of them. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know that I was in. <laughs> and uh, hi, hi, babe. <laughs> yeah, right. Thanks. Shout out to our wives yeah. for listening. Uh, Thank we make you. our cousins and uncles and brothers <laughs> all download this shit too. So. <laughs> That's true. I send out Slack messages. Everybody, please go and subscribe. Download, the shit, Download subscribe, and five stars There's if you don't be mind. a test. Right. <laughs> right. So it's uh, Media Gel with a J, in case someone's yep. looking about spelling it. Uh, Media Gel with a J, which is cool because our logo is MJ. It's kind of sure. it's kind of a cool thing, obviously. Um, and by in the game for a long time, I assume you mean the cannabis industry, cannabis industry the marketing. Yeah, like you're just a you're kind of an overall expert in that space and. That's yeah. why we have you here. Well, thanks. Yeah, so Media Gel is an advertising and marketing solutions agency uh, driven by data, built on our own technology uh, for businesses and brands in the cannabis industry. And uh, it was born um, a couple of years ago. I was uh, building a uh, lifestyle app, cannabis lifestyle app at the time. And I met my now partner, Jake Litke, and he's, a, uh, he's got a heavy tech and mobile background. He launched the first app store, Verizon, way back in early 2000. And, you know, he's just been building, you know, mobile apps and then built some platforms, some geospatial platforms. And anyway, really super smart guy. And he, uh, I brought him on board to help me kind of launch the app and handle the technical, you know, components of it and help speak to the engineers and translate into layman's terms for me and uh, we started talking about how we wanted to market the app and uh, and bring it to the, you know bring it to the market and all of the mainstream 
ways that we wanted to do things and the ability to use advanced ad tech wasn't there. No. And turns out nobody knows any knew anything about advertising. Well, data wasn't even Yeah. I mean, data was a byproduct, but nobody knew how to interpret it or, no. or how to deal with it. It was exciting, you know, like putting an ad on a bus bench or sure. you know, a billboard like that's been really cool for everybody, but nobody knew anything about advertising, so we couldn't even have conversations. But uh, between the both of us, my cannabis and marketing and advertising on the more traditional side, but also his on the more digital side, was just a nice combination. And we've just you know, said, look, this, nobody knows anything about this in this uh, cannabis industry. Let's start an agency, help inform and educate and bring some advertising and marketing solutions to these folks and help them build their brands in a real grown-up way the way everybody else gets to. And because the space was, you know, what we consider untouchable until recently. Yeah. A lot of people that were, a lot of the traditional marketing agencies had stepped out of it and were not really, so you had kind of a clear path mm-hmm. to kind of take, take your pick, if you will, of the brands that you wanted to work with. Explain to me, cause I, dude, I, I'm asking you this question cause internally I deal with it all the time. How do you deal with, like when you're selecting your client base that you're going to work with, talk to us a little bit about the challenges that you see right when they walk in the door, because let's face it, the cannabis space is born on the back of criminals and outlaws mm-hmm. that don't necessarily have a business outlook on things or mm-hmm. even understand what it means to be a brand. So, yeah. so <laughs> talk, what is, what are your requirements to work with a brand? Let's just say, like, how do you, how do you decide who makes a cut to work with media Joe? Sure. Great question. Um, going back as to what you had brought up about the, uh, the bigger agencies, with most of them, the risk wasn't worth the reward for them. Um, and in hindsight, they probably know a whole lot more you know, than we did at the time. But it wasn't worth it to them to go work with you know, cannabis brands and businesses and you know, risk uh, you know, everything else in their other client base you know, because of well, it. And so. weren't people – sorry to interrupt you, but weren't no, people also spending a big bulk of their money, like a lot of the brands chasing cannabis cups and cannabis – trade shows and you know so to get them to focus on the fractured market yeah that is what you do that seems like that's like we'll spend twenty five thousand dollars have a booth at the high times cup you want me to spend five thousand bucks on my website why would i do that yeah like, how do you overcome that yeah so it, it, it no they no, none of these businesses really have any money for marketing they don't have marketing budgets sure uh the ones that do they're very limited and yeah they're pretty limited to trade show type things and um but there's a difference between you know say you know some of the brands the cpg products and the retailers um the retailers uh not only do they not have any money to advertise or market they don't have nearly the money everybody seems to think they do sure it's which is you know a whole nother probably podcast yeah that's another hour we talk about (laughs) Lock yourself in a booth, put a bunch of funny money in there with one $100 bill and try to grab the 100 right. That's about what's happening in Canada. Yeah, so you're getting hit in the face by a bunch of stuff, but nothing's yeah. really sticking. And still, and, and still a bunch of debt, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> tons of debt. Tons of debt. So um, while we started trying to you know, talk with dispensaries at first, because we have a lot of tech, we have some technology that's really smart and allows us to, you know, we, um, long story short, we're able to help drive traffic to, uh, to retailers and sure. measure that. Well, uh, go ahead and allow, I mean, unless you're going to give up some trade secrets, go ahead and elaborate a little bit on, because look, one thing that you, we kind of haven't set the stage of, and most people are know, but some of these people that don't listen, it's not e- like you can't advertise on Facebook. You can't advertise right. on, you know, face, uh, Google AdWords. You, there's just a lot of limitations. So one of the only ways that you can get traffic to your website is to be crafty on SEO yep. and other, other mechanisms to drive awareness. Explain that a little bit. Cause that's, I think that's the, that is kind of the secret sauce to any success of a cannabis business is understanding how to work within the parameters yeah. instead of just whining about the fact that they can't do it like everybody else does. Yeah. And it, and that's a, that's an interesting point you bring up because I think the folks that whine about not being able to do it or, Hey, we can't do this and we can't do that. Um, those are typically uh, like I find that response more in the folks that are new to cannabis more common than not. They haven't you know put together marketing budgets. They don't raise money with the idea that they're going to have to you know invest in their brand. Uh, they don't think like that. Well, there's this, this idea uh, that you know if I have cannabis on my shelves, all I got to do is open my doors. Well, that's been uh, the biggest. I don't want to say downfall of the cannabis space, but. You know, and talking with brands and trying to understand their focus and vision, right? You know, coming from the traditional market of what's your vision? What do you want to have an outcome? You know, people are always like, dude, I just I just make weed and I put it on a shelf and, and it sells. But they don't understand that 
there's no customer attachment to yeah, that. Yeah, that's know? not going to work forever. Like that no. was cool when you were breaking the rule completely. Sure. But now we have you know a regular you know regulated environment. You know there's you know permits and licenses and. And there's all these other things. So the free market is, you know, going to start to demand more uh, at some point. They're going to want, you know, to have a better, you know, customer experience. Sure, we've been conditioned that way. Yeah, we deserve it, especially from a retail environment perspective. I mean, now we're in a, a very online, you know, sh- sh- Amazon type world, and to where we order that. People don't really go buy things at the store unless they like want have right, to right now. Right. <laughs> like, Even still, dude, I'm pretty sure there's an Amazon drone right. that has. I order a watch band that shits there in like six hours. I'm yeah. like, how does that happen? Right. But in a box there. that's way too big. But that's another topic too. And so I think the retailers have enough challenges, but at some point they're going to realize we've got to do something more, something different. And that's where MediaGel hopes to have at least already been there, been in their face. They're going to have to hear us a bunch of times, just like you know whatever any other brand or any other message you need to hear eight or 10 times before it, you know, it's, it's really marinated. And so we treat it the same way and we're trying to do a lot of education now. We don't, uh, um, there are certain brands that we'd like to work with. Uh, they may or may not be ready, but overall what we're trying to do is position ourselves as uh, the leaders in the cannabis space uh, when it comes to providing marketing and advertising solutions. And we I say it like that because there's a lot of issues. There's a lot of problems that they're having, either not being able to market and advertise or um, the way they're marketing and advertising um, due to whether it's a lack of sophistication, lack of acumen, lack of experience. Maybe there's nobody helping them you know, come up with a plan to execute and then report on that. That's sure. what we're there for. So we can help them with small budgets and how to use those small budgets you know, in order to show results. Like you brought up SEO, for example. SEO is a great way to you know, uh, you know, increase your visibility, drive some new traffic to your website. And then once they've done that, you can now go retarget them from your website, right? And then start taking them down the path and hopefully eventually, you know, you, you convert them. And then after you convert them, you know, maybe uh, and you, you keep them loyalty. And you keep, yeah, you didn't have the loyalty, loyalty Maybe they become an ambassador for you or an advocate, sure. if you, can, you know, if you will. And you take them through the normal cycle with anybody else. But the biggest problem is still the mentality that I don't need to spend money on that because I got a cool product or I got a cool name or I got a cool package. Um, and then sometimes the idea that, hey, all right, we're going to try this. And like three weeks in, nothing is selling. Yeah. Well, hold on. This is, this is called, and this is what we're learning too, is we need to help with level their expectations with what, you know, brand awareness means before you can have, you know, conversion of sales. And so helping them understand, like, we're going to spend some money and you're not going to see shit for two months. Um, is but, that what, is that the normal? Cause I always tell advertisers you need, you know, you got to give something 90 days. Yeah. Well, 90 days is the ideal. 120 days. And and then you got to be calibrating it while you're going along to try to get what you want out of it. And you have to make, I always tell people marketing is not a return on investment. No. Marketing is an expense line item. It's like buying insurance. Right. It's to promote your business. It's not like, you know, I can't tell you how many times people ask me, what's my ROI on this? And I'm like, I don't know what's your call to action. <laughs> you know, I, my job is not to deliver ROI. My job is to help you deliver the ROI that you're trying to accomplish. And you said something very, I think poignant that I think that, um, maybe some brands and, and a lot of customers don't really take into account. Packaging is one part of it. Mm-hmm. And there is a lot of reliance on like, we've got a really fancy package and we've got this really Gucci kind of mindset. But then, are you truly connecting with that customer? Are you really, you know, and it's a shit show out there for these dispensaries yeah. too. They're paying, you know, they're charging these brands slotting prices and, collab, you know, collaborative billboards and, you know, let's co-sponsor an event. Let's do a booth. Like the brands are getting kind of banged up a little bit. Yeah. And the dispensaries are kind of, I don't want to say they're making out, but there's a limited amount of dispensaries in California. There's twice as many brands for every dispensary that's in existence. And these guys are getting charged. I mean, are you seeing slotting fees for some of your customers? Like, I'm hearing stories of like five, ten grand a month. These brands are having to pay. Yeah, especially out in the. In the I, I live out in the Bay Area, and yeah, so where the, is Media Gel? So Media Gel is headquartered out in Walnut Creek, which is in the East Bay, right? Um, and then we've got um, uh, some PR and marketing that we do out of Charlotte. Okay, uh, I got a sales team in Denver. Nice. Uh, and then we have some engineers that work on building our own toys that we use for a lot of data, you know, uh, aggregation and collection. You know, it's funny, the Bay Area, people kind of sleep on it a little bit, you know. Yeah. But when legalization took place, you know, San Francisco, San Jose, and Santa Cruz were ahead of the curve. They were ready. The counties mm-hmm. had it. Um, what are you seeing out there? Now that, so we talked a little bit about slotting fees and people getting banged up there. What do you see the next big challenges for brands as the market continues to evolve, as new dispensaries start to open, 
how do you future proof some of these brands um, opportunities so that, you know, like we said, you know, I, I really like the customers have, that have stayed with us for a better part of a year. We start to tune them in. We really start to have call to action return. We really start to have a working relationship. When you're bringing on a new brand now, because everything's evolving, what are your future proof ideas and how do you um, get them to, to kind of ingest that and believe in it and put forth the effort? Like, how do you get that to happen? Yeah, so separating the the brands from the the retailers and sure. dispensaries because I mean at the end of the day nobody walks into a liquor store and gives a shit about you know the owner or the store no. stuff, right they're no. they're here for the Corona or the Malibu Rum or exactly <laughs> I don't even know why I just said Malibu Rum because like, yeah, you're at the until, beach dude you're thinking mai tais <laughs> and you're thinking you're thinking the beach yeah, I get you like we we'll go to but, some mai yeah. tais <laughs> yeah or something so um, you know they care about the brands on the shelf so what what I think is going to be um, paramount is that brands uh get on board and with investing in themselves and building their own brand um you know right now it's never going to be cheaper to build your brand in the cannabis industry than it is right now like are we running out of time though uh, uh, no it's not that they're running out of time it's just that every day or every hour like at this moment you and i are having this conversation is the cheapest it's going to get for a brand to get out there and build its build its identity in the in the marketplace uh it it's not that it's too late. It's just going to get more and more saturated. But more importantly, it's going to get more expensive. The competition threshold is going to is going to rise. The the the, the cost CPMs to buy an audience. You name it. It's just going to become more expensive. But it's not something that brands can avoid. And that's what they need to understand. Is you know if you don't manage your brand, somebody else will. <laughs> well, it's life cycle, right? Yeah. Like what do you like right? You know, right now it's almost like you know people are like I'm in early. But sometimes when you're in early, yeah, you also leave early because <laughs> you don't yeah. you don't you're not able to evolve and understand how the bar gets raised and how that's what I was talking about the future proof stuff. It's like you can do it for right now, yeah. But what is your plans? Like, are you dealing with any brands that are considering multi state operation? Are you dealing with and yeah. how do you approach that? Well, the MSO thing is a little bit tricky because I mean, right now. From an advertising perspective or marketing, I mean, dealing with CBD type stuff, you can deal with on a national scale and you know do some e-commerce kind of things. But with cannabis, you really can't. And so what we've done is we have a uh, full-time uh, counsel in-house that can always look at you know what you know publisher networks rules are, what some of these guidelines are for that advertiser, what we can do on that you know trade desk, let's say, or sure. uh, what what the rules are so that we can make sure we're protecting ourselves and our clients. So for brands, that's really important because we can you know help you know, manage their dollar from an advertising perspective, but having them invest in themselves and then be able to show that what they're doing can help the, the bottom line of that retailer, that's going to give them a fighting chance at getting on the shelves, whether they have to pay for the space or not, or whatever, whatever's going on, having the opportunity to put your product on the shelf is a big win. And you're going to have to invest in yourself, show the data to the, to the, the retailer that you're doing that, and then once you get on the shelf, you then got to change your tune and start figuring out how to drive traffic into the store so that your brand is what's getting noticed and picked up. And translating that into data and being able to show that back to a store owner that says, hey, look, since you've carried my brand, these sort of things have happened. We can measure it. Here's the reports. Uh, let's up the order another box. That's going to be very, very powerful. And that's what's going to create the balance of power to be shifted into the hands of the brands. And I mean that because the brands are also you know, controlled by the distributors. They can't get their own product there without a distributor. So the distributors are going to need to invest in the brands that they're distributing for as well as a partner. And that becomes the big word, I think, that everybody needs to start realizing that there's this unnecessary competitive sort of, you know, attitude going on that I think is too early for the cannabis industry. I'm not trying to kumbaya the thing. I'm just saying we're just still trying to get our shit together and have people take us seriously. Right. Well, I don't know why you think you're competing with each other or need to compete with each other. I think Uh, it's a natural course of you know, carnivorous action that takes place in an open market. But you're right. It's like, you know, as you were saying the you know, you mentioned distributors, like you talk about a hustle right now. Yeah. You know, you bring me a compliance based product that's manufactured product ready to go. I'll pick it up, drop it off, collect the money and give it back to you. And yeah. I'm going to take a quarter. Yeah. And ABC you later. Yeah. So do you see distributors starting to, cause you know, it goes back to that way what we said earlier, which is limited amount of retail shops, almost equal amount of distributors, almost equal amount of brands. As we start seeing more dispensaries open, how do you see the distributor game changing a little bit? 
that's a good question. I <clears throat> I think um, the power to bring the product to the retailer lies with the distributor, but they don't quite have the relationships that they need in order to really help those brands or those manufacturers. And being willing to carry a product on your on your trucks is one thing, but having a relationship where you can get it placed in the market, that's another. Now, the distributor, it's not their responsibility to act as your sales. Right. But if they're a good partner, and this is what I was talking about, if you're a good partner, um, I think that's a, that's a good way to do business. Um, and while we're not there yet, that's what I was talking about, competition. I, I just sure. feel like bad business is competition, not getting the right products to the right retailers is bad for the industry. And that's what we're trying to do right now is, you know, bring a, bring a proper value to the folks that are in the dispensaries looking for a product with some level of education, some truth on a package that, you know, build some level of confidence to ensure that this person will have the experience that the manufacturer says they're going to have. But then there's all the other people that aren't even in cannabis yet. And that's what brands got to be thinking about. So when you brought up the future to bring this you know, full circle to that, they need to be thinking about how are they going to inform the people that aren't in cannabis yet, that haven't made... The can of curious, to the coin can a of curious, horrible yeah. word, but... No, the can of curious yep. or the... And I hate to say the kids, because it's not about the kids, but yeah. there's a generation that sure. is old enough now that just hasn't you know, been exposed to it. And you need to be able to figure out how you're going to reach them in, a, in an intelligent way, in a compliant way, and help them understand what your story is, what your brand is about. Uh, so when they're ready to try something, you know, they like you, you grabbed probably a, a Miller High Life at some point out of your fridge because that's what your dad drank. Sure. Right? Or <clears throat> whatever We're very impressionable as far as consumers. And it's funny, I went to my class reunion and, you know, I have I've done well in my aging. And, you know, I was a two for five guy. Back in the day, like two <laughs> joints for five bucks, you know? And so that's like two or five. Oh, yeah. And now I, I have friends that are like, hey, man, um, I know I still, I got, you still got that deal. Well, no. <laughs> hey, man, I, this is how it goes. Hey, man. I said, oh, now you want to smoke some weed. Oh, yeah. Oh, now you, you yeah. I'm not the, now I'm the coolest. I'm not the, the burnout. I'm not the <laughs> surfer burnout, dude, because, oh, now you need some weed. I get you. That's a good transition for me because in learning everything that you've done for these brands and understanding how to drive traffic and understanding how to bring value to the dispensary and understanding how to create stickiness, the Miller High Life comment, um, of like you will consume what you see or is embedded, OMG Farms. Yeah. Um, what, where did that brainchild come from? How hard was it to get it to where it's at? And what do you see as the future for OMG Farms? Sure. So I started OMG Farms in 2008, 2009. Um, I had a, uh, I was uh, running a dispensary down in Southern California in San Diego. Yep, we talked about that. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, it's called Sons of Beaches. It was badass. It was right on Mission Boulevard across from the ocean, man. Throw a rock at the sand. <laughs> it was awesome. That's a great name. Yeah, it was a cool name. It was a cool spot. Um, so you got shut down. Well, it didn't get shut down. I mean, the the big threatening letters went out to all the landlords. Sure. Hey, we're going to repo your property. You're going to get locked up, all these things. So I... I told our, our landlord knew, look, if anything ever comes up, I'm out quietly. We don't, no fighting, no nothing. Sure. Give me 30 days so I can unload all this to all the patients in the area and make sure they're all kind of set up before I'm out of town. So what happened was, is I uh, I grew a little, I grew some of my own um, just to kind of help with margins for, you know, for sure. the shelf space. Um, and I had a little bit extra. <laughs> and so what I did was when I was, you know, uh, out vending some of my product, um, I got tired of hearing, we already have OG Kush, we have Blue Dream, or we got Sour Diesel or whatever. Sure. And so there was no brands. Everybody was just calling it the strains. And I just knew as a, I mean, I've been into advertising since I was a kid. I'm a big brands guy. And so yeah. I knew that wasn't going to be forever. Um, and I got tired of hearing that. So I wanted to distinguish my product from everybody else's. So if somebody liked my OG Kush or my Sour Diesel, they could ask for it by name. And I'm not a social media kind of guy, but uh, I, o- OMG was a real trending you know, acronym kind of on the rise at the time. So I made a farm out of it and... Uh, oh my God, or, you know, that's what you say when you'd smoke it. And I had all these funny little, little things I did. And then, um, I sort of, you know, just created this, you know, brand around my flower and then transitioned to a more lifestyle brand that was just kind of cool for the traveling executive and, you know, or the, uh, you know, the yoga mom that just wanted, you know, some brandability, something she could count on. It was clean. It was sure. you know consistent. It was all those things. And, you know, I'd roll up joints, you know, 20 at a time and I'd put them in those little travel, you know, soapbox you know, like your travel oh, yeah. soap, uh-huh. and I'd make little, you know, 20 packs of t- t- joints, and, and I'd put an Avery label on there with, like, Mike Tyson's oh, face. Oh, my gosh, OG Kush. Literally know? back in the day, yeah. just like... That was some impressive packs. You're like, this is badass, dude. This Look how bad- badass we are, That's you know? Right. That's right. And so uh, then I just kept it going. Then a few years ago, I decided I want to bring it to market uh, by way of a product, 
and I couldn't do the pre-rolls I wanted, but I was able to put together a really awesome vape pen that uh, okay. became the flagship uh, product for OMG Farms. So it was a ready-to-use vape pen. It was a half a, half a gram of some ethanol-extracted oil you know, from Humboldt. It was real clean with some you know, terpene profiles that were really, really exciting, and everybody liked them. So uh, I kept doing those, and uh, long story short, got a manufacturing license last year. Uh, put a distribution commercial relationship together, you know, basically completed the whole process. And, uh, you know, we've talked about raising money and, you know, sure. talk about, you know, the, the business end oh, of the God. revolver. We, we got to talk about that a little bit too. Yeah. That, you know, everybody, it's, it's not as easy as everybody thinks. So no. if, you, if, if you're a masochist and you want to really go out in the world and, and get the living shit beat out of you. Or if you like eating big bowls of shit. Yeah. Every day. Yes, yeah. That's great. Doing your pitch and having going, yeah. cool. So yeah. you're going to pay us for it to take your company. You're all, what? I don't, yeah. I don't understand yeah. what just and happened I, right here. Yeah, what just happened here? Yeah. <laughs> well, congratulations. Just, on so I sold it in February and now I just, oh. kinda, yeah, I sold it to a company uh, called Can I Brands. Okay. And, um, I'm aware of those guys. Yeah. And so I was, uh, so they bought the company. I still work with them in an advisory capacity and helping them with their uh, California strategy for the most part and you have an unfair advantage because you know what works and what doesn't work that's right and so you get to build your brand well that's i mean i wanted to go back and say congratulations on going through that process of you know people don't understand it's not just about growing the weed it's not just about packaging the weed it's not just about testing the weed it's not just about packaging the weed it's not i mean there's so many steps that go along the way um to getting that done that it's like it's a big deal if you can get licensed properly i mean I think the biggest thing that I saw when Prop 64 went down was like people didn't have compliance uh, mm-hmm. advisors or whatever you want to say and fucking literally went out of business because they're all, what do you mean we can't distribute our own stuff? What do you mean we can't? What, what do you mean? Yeah. I, don't, I don't understand. And it's, there was a lot of rules that came down. You know, Prop 215 allowed us to kind of run wild, like naked people running through the woods, yeah. you know, without any real ramifications or regulations. And it was kind of all self-imposed. And then, Shabam! The door came down on Prop sixty four. You talked about selling the brand. Congratulations on that. That's Thanks. not. That's also not easy in this space. You know, um, raising money. Let's. We have plenty of time still. Yeah. So I, I want to get back to a couple other things, but yeah, since we're traffic ahead, so. so since we're talking about raising money, which is really kind of ironically where our discussion initially started off, yeah. I was like, this guy can really drop some knowledge on raising money, and then. You you literally are a multi podcast guy, like with the amount of things that you've done. So, listeners, you guys are getting a, like a triple up for your buck right now because <laughs> you're you're going to learn about branding, you're going to learn about starting a brand, you're going to learn about raising money, and then you're going to learn about just the overall space from somebody who's been in it for quite some time. Raising money, um, you know, in the initial phases of capital, everybody was investing in manufacturing and cultivation and distribution and dispensaries and. How did you, when you jumped in and said, I need to raise some money, because everybody wants to raise money. I know people that have been perpetually raising money since their company started. Yeah. That's another the problem. Life of a CEO. Yeah, but that's also another problem. Like at some point, you got to really be realistic and go, is this ever going to be profitable or am I just, <laughs> am I just building it to sell it? Because that's, uh, you know, that's the other thing. Talk a little bit about your strategy when you're looking at an asset that you're, you're wanting to fundraise around. How are you identifying? your valuation, how much you want to sell, who you want to sell it to, because you might get a good valuation. I mean, I always tell people there's best money and then there's smart money. Mm-hmm. How does, how does Aaron make those decisions? Uh, well, so f- fortunately I'm finally in a position now where my, my partner, he's our CEO at media gel, Jake. And so he deals with the majority of the money raising now, which is a blessing. Thanks, Jake. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Jake. Shout out to Jake. <laughs> Everybody wants somebody that can raise them money or at least be accountable for it. Yeah, he's uh, he's great. I mean, being able to speak with investors and speak their language and, you know, have uh, have answers to questions that, you know, they deserve to have um, and be able to answer them in a way that um, is really digestible. I think, you know, there's the other kind of, so my, when I ha- was on the money, uh, money raising trail, um, it's easy to, I'm a passionate guy. And so, uh, and sometimes, you know, um, the rejection <laughs> fundraising, yeah, dude, if kick, you're not ready to get kicked in the balls, in the, sometimes it's just and it, both hands in your pocket <laughs> and they pull your pants down and your shirt over yeah. your head. Yeah. If, you're not, if, if, uh, if that's something that might change your mood, <laughs> you might, you might not want to raise money. So, um, oh. I, you know, uh, learning how to be able to deal with that a lot and just sort of uh, swallow it, you know, like a shit burger and take it down. But um, 
it was one of those, I started raising money for the first time. I think it was about 2014 or 2015. You know, I'd started a little company. I needed to raise some money around it. And, you know, I spent more time defending valuation than I can even, than I cared to. Uh, and the truth was, is they were all fucking right. Like, how do you get this value? They were all right. Like, yes. How do, you, how do you get this valuation? I don't fucking know. I mean, I closed my eyes. Yeah, I put some numbers a on a wall and I threw air. a dart. Yeah. I don't know. Like, yeah. a company sold for this, and I figure that we got a little bit of this. And you know, if we win this, there's some value, and let's put some projected multiples on it that yeah. are reasonable between us, and and do that. And so they were right. It was just frustrating, but yeah. you know, we did it. And um, and then uh, with OMG Farms, it was um, it was just. It was very slow to come, so it was really difficult to get to where I knew we were gonna, we were capable of getting, but without having enough resources, both capital and human, it's impossible to get there. And then you keep thinking, well, once we get this, or once we accomplish that, or once we hit that milestone, it ought to just be easy. I mean, I went, <clears throat> I earned a manufacturing license in California. You know, two months, I, I think we got it in, it was in March of 2018, so. Yeah, you're fresh. Yeah, fresh, right? A few months in. I, I don't know. It, I would have these conversations with these, you know, investors or, you know, interested investors, we'll call them. And they would say, they'd ask all these questions, look, here's the deal. And finally, you start to become very direct because time is an asset. Yeah, it's a hugest you asset know, you have. It's a hugest one, right? And so it finally got to the point where I was like, look, I... I need to get to a fast no with you. So here's the deal. I've earned a license to manufacture weed in the sixth largest economy on the planet. <laughs> and I've got a proof of concept. I've got an entire relationship built out with manufacturers, oil providers, and a distributor. It's all commercialized. It's in the writing. All we need is some money to bring the product to the market, advertise, hire some people, do some marketing, and stay on top of the, holy shit, the industry changed. That just cost us 50 grand, but it yeah. didn't hurt us. Absolutely. Are you interested in investing in that little situation I just described? No, that's not for you. No, all right. No problem. No problem. I got to yeah. go. Because you got to be willing to, if, if, if you don't like to gamble, don't invest in the industry. No. <laughs> and if you're not, if, if you're going to miss a meal over you know, losing 50 or 100K, definitely don't invest in the industry. Yes. And if you go to Vegas uh, with the idea of sitting down at a table and asking for some guarantees from the dealer in front of you, you're playing the wrong fucking game. That's what this is. There are no guarantees. The industry itself is a startup. It's been, you know, it's been born of you know, folks that have been – and to be fair, those of us in the space for a while, we've been doing business all along. Now, mind you – there were some guidelines, some rules that we learned how to flirt with and all those things. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we, we grew a product. You know, somebody moved the product. Somebody bought the product. Somebody took a tax. Somebody sold it. Somebody packaged it, vapor sealed it, whatever. Like, we were already doing business. All, all the states really had to do was just say, okay, uh, permission granted, but let's put, let's put some, you know, you know, controls in place here to make sure people stay safe. And, and that's what we're trying to do as an industry. That's what California is trying to do. Everybody makes it sound easy, but I mean, it's a, it's a tall order, you know? And so, you know, that's from the investor community getting excited or wanting to have, you know, something cool to talk about at a dinner party or in the, in the country club, you know, locker room um, is, you know, I, is exciting, but be prepared to tell that story and say, I just lost a hundred grand investing in this one operation because, you know, I didn't realize that, you know, they were too close to a school or I didn't realize or they that. under, they under projected. Yeah. Nobody, I think one of the challenges that I see, you know, cause I, we're on the money train. We, you know, we go on and off the money train and you know, I, I'm like you, man, I asked for the cookie <clears throat> straight up. Like, yeah. Is this something before I even get any further? Are you interested in writing a check? Yeah. Or do you just want an education? Because if you want an education, you need to pay me for that. Like, I've made investors pony <laughs> up money to just go into due diligence. I'm like, if you want me in due diligence and you're going to lock me up for 30 days, whatever, I need 50 grand. Yep. And they're like, what do you mean? It's like, I need 50 grand. Why do you need 50 yeah. grand? Because you're taking me offline. Yeah, there's a good opportunity cost. You know what that is, Mr. Business yeah, Guy. Yeah, there's just as much fuckery on the investor side as there is on the investee side. That's right. And I think from what I was hearing you say was be prepared to be told everything that you're saying is fucking bullshit. Right. Because you're inebriated on your own bullshit. Yeah. And you need to be able to understand the reality of what it is. That's the hardest thing, you know. I'm assuming you had – you, were you solely owned by yourself with OMG Farms or did you have investors? No, I raised money. Yeah, I had investors. So, you know, 
I don't know if they got out whole or not, but how do you have that? Like maybe not your story, but there's that story where, Hey, it was a success. Wasn't quite the success we all thought it was going to be. How do you give the news to someone and say, Hey, you gave me a hundred grand. Here's 60. Thanks. (laughs) Like that's another topic, right? That is another topic. And and it's it's usually your friend. Yeah, well, hopefully they're still your friend. Yeah, right. <laughs> the, <idiot. laughs> the truth, because uh, I mean, you know that that can uh, that well, does and be can careful who you take money from. That's right, ruin yeah. relationships. Yeah, you know what they say: you want to get rid of a friend, loan them money. Exactly, it's the quickest way to do it. So, how do you have that conversation? How, so you got to nut up. You yeah, gotta, you without know? getting into detail, but I mean, trying. I, you got to be ethical about it. You got to be realistic. You got to be able to be willing to, um, you know, be transparent about, Hey, look, this is, there's no guarantees and you can keep restating that all you want, but that still doesn't mean they don't hear it. They don't hear it. And and the truth is, is the exits that are happening. I mean, other than the big ones you hear for a bunch of cash and like there's a handful, the truth is somebody got roasted though along the way. Somebody Somebody got roasted. roasted. Yeah. And a lot of them are are paper, you know, you know, you're getting a bunch of stock in another company because that other company has resources to do things for your business that you failed to, you know, acquire. And so the idea that someone else can come in, uh, put some, put some resources in, they might take some controls, they might apply some acumen or some experience that you don't have but desperately need. And you also got to be willing to be able to say, hey, in order to protect your investment or give it a chance to be as awesome as we all want it to be, I got to let go a little bit. Yes. Or I got to be willing to give up and let someone else step in. And it's, and it's somewhat humbling. And you got to be selfless about that, that, uh, that decision and know that when the opportunity comes and you've got a choice to make as the fearless leader... Are you able to hand the keys of the car over to someone else that might be a better driver? They can afford to put gas in more frequently, and you know they don't have to you know uh, make as many stops for repairs that will really hold up the journey. They're already set. The tank is full. They got their buddy who plays guitar for the road trip, and this guy will roll a joint, and I'll drive. You know, it's and that's really how the, the 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 caravan needs to go. And you need to be aware as a leader when it's time to time to make that decision. I, I want to speak to that real quick, if you may, if I may. <clears throat> I would cons- like so. If you're raising money, right, you, it's not your baby anymore because now you have a fiduciary obligation mm-hmm. to people that gave you money. So that's the first release you have to do. Yep. Now you're not making a – you can always, as the boss man, make decisions that are best for you, but you damn well better be making decisions that are the best for the people that believed enough in you yeah. to give you that money, whether you make them whole or not. What I heard you just say and what I want to just reiterate is you got to know what position you play. If you're a fucking badass designated hitter and you're the CEO, you probably want to find a CEO that's a pitcher. Like I'm yeah. using baseball analogies. No, but, I got you. You know what I mean? Like not every, you can't play every position. Like no. you, you, if if you're a if every time you've had success you've played that position, it is not going to be any different in this particular situation. And I think that goes hand in glove when you're looking for money. That you have to say we want to buy some human capital. And I, this is who we want to buy and yeah. why we want to buy them. And that, that's where the, the ego and the humble component come in because not a lot of people can look themselves in the mirror and say, I'm not the guy to take this thing to the next level. Yeah, or to do the role. I, I mean, the truth is, is, so I've been a CEO a couple of times between a couple of my companies I started. And, uh, and I was the CEO of, you know, of uh, Yocanet Media Gel at first until we finally got to a point where we not only were going to go out and raise some real capital, but... We had, you know, there's technical components to our business model. You know, there's this data thing, and then we got all these other cool things. We're more of an ancillary business, and it, a lot of our value, were, you know, was being placed and put into things that I wasn't the expert on. Uh, now, while I could, you know, I'm a quick study, and you know, I'm pretty good on stage and all these things. Sure, you can uh, muscle through it. I can muscle through it. Um, I don't. I shouldn't have to. Well, that's the point. And, and if you got to muscle through your job or your role, then you're in the wrong one. Jake, who I've mentioned, um, much better CEO, much you know, much more articulate with the types of things you know that you know uh, investors uh, want to hear and shareholders for that matter. And as much as I'd like to be that guy, sometimes I'm just I'm, I'm not right now. I'm I'm better at other things. I you know I love being our president, the face and the voice. Um, that's what I was going to say. I cover it's all like, information. I know enough about. Everything we do, and I uh, a lot more than most, and uh, and I have a passionate and excited way about conveying that, and that's 
I'm doing what I feel like nobody is better at than me. And I, I like that. Um, and if there is someone that comes along that's better at it than me, then great. I'll, I, can't, I need another mentor. I'm, this is what I do, and I believe I'm going to do this better than anybody else. And I hire people and partner with people that are absolutely better at what they do than I could ever be. And I think that's, that's probably the most poignant thing to take away from that, that, those comments that you just made is because a lot of times people associate being the CEO with being the face of the company. Right. And a lot of times that's not the case. A lot of times you can be the face of the company, but you need somebody that's a little bit better on the back end that's going to make sure you cover your ass and makes the decisions that are pertinent to what you're trying yeah. to accomplish. There's a difference between the – very rarely do you have a hybrid CEO and face of the company that can make that work because you need an ego – to be the face of the company. Yeah, but just, but a little bit too big of an ego. You're not a CEO. You're not a CEO. You're the <laughs> asshole of the company, and everybody looks at your company through that lens. Right? Yep. That's, a, that's definitely a takeaway for sure because we've all met those people that you're like, you know, usually the CEO is not the, like, I don't want to say not the face of the company, but they're the, the one that gets down to business. They're the one yeah. that interfaces with the investors. They're ultimately the, sh- the point of the ship, the what do they call that, the, sh- the stern of the ship, I guess, maybe. Yeah. I'm probably wrong, but they're the or one the that's bow, maybe. I don't know. They're oh, the one that's know. taking all the shit straight in the face. You know what I mean? And yeah. so our job is to be there to be as supportive of them as we possibly can while still not compromising the rest of the business. At what point <clears throat> be, the number one job is the number two guy. <laughs> that's right. I mean, it's like <laughs> at the same time, what happens when, you know, like I think you, you said there's guarantees. And dude, I used the, I used an analogy the other day for someone we were talking and they're like, well, can we get this and can we do that? And I, I said, man, I'm going to break it down really easy for you. If you think you're not going to have, if you're going to have bareback sex <laughs> and you think you're not going to potentially get an STD, <laughs> right. you're fucking out of your mind. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's the same thing. It's like some of it you have to let go. What happens when, when you sell your company and you watch it go off in the sunset? Like, how does that feel? Um, not uh, maybe bittersweet. It's kind of, um, it's like sending your kid to college, right? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I'm about to do that in Jeez. two weeks. So uh. my oldest is going to college and we'll, uh, we'll see what's great. Uh, fortunately for her, she already knows everything. So yeah, this of course it's going to be nice and easy yeah, for her. She totally. Knows, she knows everything. Walk in the park. Yeah. And I don't know shit. So, of course. you know, this, so it'll be a fun five years for her. Yeah. Like so she hits about 23, 24 yeah. and goes, Oh shit! Fuck! I don't know anything. Yeah, Dad. I'm I just really spent sorry. five years learning. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah, I took a natural disasters class. Yeah. I know more about hurricanes than I do. And how it's to bounce four on. years of counseling. Let <laughs> <laughs> me. I'm running around going, "Where's my fucking pen?" Right. And my son's like, "Here it is. It's in the couch." <laughs> then my wife. Then your wife looks at you like, uh, "Really? Yeah, really? Yeah." Unfortunately, well, fortunately, my wife. My wife loves the flowers. So, and part of the reason I'm in the industry, she had a brain tumor, and um, so she lost her sense of smell. Oh. So I'll be like, hey, man, you're smelling a little cheefy right now. You might want to <laughs> take a little lap around the house or, or do something. But, you know, fortunately, we're, we're good on the cannabis front. And, um, you know, I haven't fully sat down and had the discussion with my 11-year-old about everything. But he knows dad's in cannabis. Yeah. He'll tell yeah, me. my kids now know. Yeah, he's all, dad, you can't wear that shirt to open house. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. I'm like, whoa, shit, thanks for reminding yeah, me. But when there's, like, something, you know, pot-related or cannabis-related on the news, my kid my son will yell, Dad, the industry's on. <laughs> that's what they call it, the industry. Well, and that's funny. The, 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 I think the catch for me is, like, I coach Little League. Yeah, me too. And I'm, like, coaching Little League, and, and, you know, these real estate dads or whomever is, like, and shout-out to you, I'm not throwing shade, but they're like, hey, man, come here real quick. How do I get a vape pen? Hey, did I get a vape pen? Or yeah, like, yeah, dude, I got a fucking trench coat full of shit. It's right here in my pocket, <laughs> you know, which I have accidentally walked on the field with my vape pen and yeah. stuff. And I'm like, oh, shit, give it to the wife. And then she takes off. But at the same time, you're like, like I want to get in. How do I invest? What do I do? It's like, bro, I, so I just help you. I send him my PayPal and I'm like, hey, send me 150 bucks. We'll sit down and have coffee and I'll answer your questions for an hour. Yeah. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well. Fuck, yeah. dude. I didn't basically almost go shit? to jail for the last 15 years to, yeah. like, give you free insight and, like, expect you. How do you deal with that shit? Because you've got to be getting hit up about that. Oh, I do all the time. Uh, and obviously now more in the last few years that we've been able to kind of come out of our cannabis closet, if you will. And, sure. You know, we're not quite getting invited to career day yet, but. Soon enough. <laughs> Soon enough. Soon enough. How to build a cultivation. Yeah. In the air. Hey, it's up, you know. I just want you to know I smoke the weed, too, y'all. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Here we go. Let's, let's, yeah. Let's do this. Yeah. yeah. Cannabis. I want to 
while we have a little bit of time left, I want to talk a little bit about that out of the cannabis closet because I think that's a funny story. Um, lots of people in the space <laughs> go in stealth mode yeah. on LinkedIn. Like when I see someone that friends me in LinkedIn and they've had like a storied past of like either Wall Street or corporate business, but they're currently in stealth mode. I'm like, motherfucker, yeah, you're yeah. in cannabis. Just yeah. admit it. You're not gonna go to you're not going to hell for it. It's yeah, okay. Right. Yeah, right. Dude. That's gone away. I did get yelled at when I first came out there. You're crazy, you're never getting a job. How did when did you decide to come? Like, I mean, obviously we came out really early as you know, people that were moving packs, but how yeah. did you decide to finally go the bunk? I'm this is what I'm doing. As in like working in cannabis full time? Just letting everybody know. Fuck it. Like people ask me at Every event, like, what do you do, I'm mom? And I'm in cannabis. Yeah, um, I'd say, what? what? Had to yeah, been when you had yeah, sons of beaches. Well, so I mean, there was. Oh, so you have two different classes of friends. There's the people that know what you do. Sure, and, sure, sure. Yeah, because I'm driving to, to and from San Diego twice a week. Um, you know, and you grow a little pot, and you know, you, you, whether you smoke it or just move it, you smell like it. Sure. And so there was the people that just knew that I worked in the industry, and you'd keep it as compliant, and you talk about it as little as possible. But then there's all the other folks that don't know, and you know, um, so instead of talking about you know running a dispensary, you say, you know, I work, you know, I have a clothing line or right? you know, or whatever. I'm uh, in farming. Yeah. Or you, I do events <laughs> or you know, some bullshit. And so, um, uh, or do you, you know, I, I'm I, in I got asked this one time. I was at, uh, I was at an event, um, out in uh, Alameda County, uh, and the sheriff of that County pretty strict. And, um, and I mean, as anti-cannabis as it gets. And he asked me at a, uh, at one of these fundraiser barbecues, he's like, "So what do you do?" We were just having a cool conversation, and, I didn't, and uh, he's like, "Hey, so so what do you do?" I said, um, "I uh, I work in emerging markets." <laughs> that was the first thing that came. So out. that's a good point, but, right? Yeah, that, that's how you. That, that's a good tip for I people. I wasn't lying, but it was kind of like, "Well, what are emerging?" You got to judge your. You got to judge your yeah. audience and make sure you're not compromising yourself. Yeah. But sometimes you, you you put a toe in the water. You know, you might say to someone at a party, "Hey, what do you do?" I mean, now it's no big deal. I'm in cannabis. Yeah. So what do you do in cannabis? It becomes, and you almost don't want like it's almost getting to the point where I, I almost want to lie and say I do insurance or something. Yeah, dude. Something just antiseptic that nobody wants to talk about. Because the minute you say cannabis, yep, the minute I like uh, I tell people, I'm like, well, we do TV and I, you know, I work with influencers and you may know one of them is Tommy Chong. Boom, that's it, dude. Like the next, yep. that person stuck to me for the rest of the night. And so yeah. I'm like, I like that tip of I'm in emerging markets. I'm going to, I wrote that down. I'm going to use that. <laughs> I'm in emerging markets. <laughs> right. Let's go for it. That's, that's what it is. So the idea was, was I finally wanted to just, um, I mean, the whole idea all along was to polish and professionalize the industry that yep. I wanted to work in and be open about working in. I mean, it was about 14 years ago or so, uh, or maybe not. I was working a job while you're, you know, in the cannabis space, you know, you got, so you could say you did something else. Sure. And I was miserable. Like, I mean, I hated it. I was working at 18. I don't know how I got that job at AT&T as a technical sales. Like it was the the one job on the planet I should have probably never gotten or was qualified to do was that job, and I was miserable for six months. My wife, she just knew I hated it. And finally, one day, she's yeah. Just if you're like, cracking a if you're cracking a cold one before you hit the door, because <laughs> <clears throat> I have a beer fridge in the garage. If I'm hitting the beer fridge before I get in the house, it's a shitty job. Wife knows uh, shitty day today. I get day. It. I'll leave you alone until the beer's done. <laughs> <laughs> And that was it. And so she looked at me and she goes, you got to stop working for other people. You're, it's not good for you. And I wasn't made to really work for other – I was made to work for folks that I respected and wanted to learn from and be yeah. mentored by because then I would just you know, shut the fuck up and get everything out of it I could. But uh, I've always seen myself running my own thing or building my own thing and you know, uh, being successful that way. Uh, whether or not it was going to work, you know, we're still learning. We're still, sure. you know, hopefully I got a few hits in me, but, um, but I know what wasn't working, and that was – me working for folks or doing jobs that I didn't want to do or I could do them better than the person that was in charge of me doing it. And that was just a matter of time before that was a recipe for disaster. And then you're like, I did your job. I'm going to go home now. I'm going to go do something else. That was always my my challenge because I always ran – I always worked for myself too. And then a couple times I worked for other people – there's this like butt in the seat mentality where it's like, you need to be here at 8 a.m., you need to be here at 6 p.m. And I'm like, but I fucking did my job already. I'm done. I'm going to go surfing or I'm going to go do whatever. I'm going to go do something else. Right. I think that's the problem that guys you, you know, like yourself have where you're just, you need to remain challenged at all times and you need to remain captivated at all times yeah. or you're going to be looking for something else to do because that's just the nature of the hustle. Yeah. Dude, I feel like we could keep talking for hour, hours yeah, and hours. Yeah, we're going to do this again. Yes, we will. And I, I'm looking forward to – so as we close up, talk about where you're going to be coming up shortly with Media Gel and New West Summit. Talk a little bit about that. 
do some social shout outs and yeah. then we'll wrap this up and let you get on the freeway. Right on. Well, I'll, um, so coming up October 10th and 11th, New West Summit 5. It's out in San Francisco, back home where it, uh, where it all began. Um, we are really excited this year. We partnered up with New West Summit. We are the exclusive media partner and um, a platinum sponsor. So we will be on location at New West doing our podcast at Liquid Lounge. Uh, I've got another show that we're going to be introducing as well. Stay tuned for that. It'll be kind of cool. Nice. And uh, interviewing some of the uh, some of the industry's you know greatest leaders and brightest minds. And I'm hoping that you'll come on the set as well, if not before then. Oh, I'd love to, man. And then uh, that night, you'll be able to buy tickets. Uh, be on the lookout for that for our official kickoff party. This will be our second round doing this. We are uh, we rented out Media Jill's throwing a party at City Nights in San Francisco. We'll have some musical entertainment, some great cool things happening. It'll be a great theme and uh yeah from a social standpoint yeah check out our blogs and stuff on linkedin visit our website media gel that's jel.com you can see the video version of our blogs yeah so that's it we got new west summit coming up i'll be um you know you can always check out uh, wherever i'm going to be speaking you know cbd expos and uh hoping to speak at south by next year that'll be all oh, rad fun. yeah well dude it's been amazing to have you on and uh if you are a brand and you need some really expert advice on how to drive some traffic Hit up Media Gel, check them out. Dude, thank you so much for being on the show, and I really look forward to seeing you at New Summit, and we're going to get fucking lit. Yeah, let's go burn one. Nice. All right, later. Late. That's a wrap. Thank you for listening to this edition of Cannabis Karaoke, another kick-ass podcast about all things cannabis. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and our website, CannabisKaraoke.tv. And if you or someone you know would like to be on the show, please hit the Book Your Interview button on the right. Cannabis Karaoke, grab the mic and tell your story. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to PodConnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. How do cannabis CEOs balance growth and optimization strategies? What is THCO, Delta 10, and CBNA, and why should you care about these minor cannabinoids? And why isn't the endocannabinoid system covered in medical school? Most people think they're up to date in trends in the cannabis industry, but they're about six weeks behind. Learn about what is truly next in the cannabis space by joining myself, Brian Fields, and Kellen Finney every week on the Dime Podcast, and of course, on PodConnects.